Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving Found among the papers of the late Dietrich Knuckerbocker A pleasant land, a drowsy head of dreams that wave above the half-shut eye Of grey castles in clouds that pass Forever flushing around the summer sky Castle of indolence in the bosom of one of those spacious cove, coves which indent the eastern shore of Hudson, the broad expansion of the river denominated by ancient Dutch navigators the Tampene Sea, where they are always prudently shortened sail and plored, and the protection sent Nicholas when they crossed their, their lives, a small market town, a rural port which by some is called Greensburg, but which is more generally and properly known by the name of Tony Town. His name is given, we are told, in former days by the good housewives of the adjacent county, for the irreverent prosperity of their husbands to linger about the village tavern on market days. Be that as it may, I do not vouch for the fact, but many avert to it, the sake of being precise and authentic. Not far from this village, perhaps about two miles, is a little valley, or rather lap of land, among hill, high hills, which one is the quietest places in the whole world. A small brook glides through it, with a suggestion murmur enough to lull one to repose, occasional whistle, the quail, or tapping of woodpecker is almost their only sound ever breaks in upon the uniform tranquillity. I recollect that when a strapling, my first exploit in squirrel shooting, was in a grove of the tall walnut trees, the shade of one side of the valley, I wandered into it at noontime, and all nature of it is particularly quiet, peculiarly quiet. And was startled by the roar of my own gun as it broke the sever stillness around and was prolonged and reverberated by the angry echoes. Whether I should wish for a retreat, whether I might steal from the world and its distractions, dream quietly away the remnant, the troubled life, I know of none more promising than this little valley. From the list of his pose of the place and the peculiar character of its inhabitants, who were descendants from the original Dutch settlers, its sequated glen was long known by the name of Sleepy Hollow. Its rustic lads were known as Sleepy Hollow boys throughout all the neighbouring county, county. Country. A dowsing, dreamy influence seems to hang over the land, to evade. At the very atmosphere, some say the place was bewitched by a high German doctor. During the early days of settlement, others, an old witch, an old Indian chief, the prophet of a wizard, 
his tribe held his powwows. There before the country was discovered by Master Henry Cutson. Certain it is that the place was still continued under the watch way such some witching power. A hold a spell over the minds of good people, causing them to walk in a continual reverie. They are given to all kinds of marvellous benefits, subject to trances and visions, and frequently see strange sights, hear music and voices in the air. Whole neighbourhood abounds with local tales, haunted spots of twilight superstitions. Stars shoot the meteor's glare, often across the valley in any other part of the country. And a nightmare from a whole ninefold seems to make the face it the favourite scene of Gobos. The dominant spirit, however, that haunts this enchanted region seems to be a commander in chief of all the powers of the air. It's the apparition of a figure on a horseback without a head. It's said by some to be the ghost of Henson Trooper, whose head had been carried away by a cannonball. Some nameless battle during the Revolutionary War is ever and anon seen by the country folk hurrying along the gloom of night as if on wings of the wind. His haunts are not confined to the valley, but stand at times adjacent roads, especially the vicinity of the church, no great distance. These sudden and most authentic historians, these parts, have been careful in collecting and collaborating. The floating facts concerning Inspector alleged that the body of the trooper, having been buried in the churchyard, the ghost finds forth to the scene of the battle nightly quests his head at a rushing speed with which he sometimes passes along the hollow like a blasted mid like a midnight blast. So he is being belated, I hurry to get back to the churchyard before daybreak. Such is the general purport. Purport. This legendary superstition, which has furnished materials for many a wild story, a region of shadows and spectre, is known in all the county firesides by name the headless husband of Sleepy Hollow. It's remarkable that originally prosperity I mentioned is not confined to the native inhabitants of valley, but it's unconsciously inhibited. By every one who resides there for what time, with a wide awake they may bid before they enter the sleepy region, they are sure and a little time in hell, which in influence of the air bring the growing imaginative to dream dreams and see apparitions. I mention this peaceful spot with all possible lord, for it is a very it is such a little to retire of Dutch valleys. Found here and there Embosomed in the great state of New York, population matters and customs remain fixed. By the great torrent of migration and improvement, which is making such incessant changes, other parts of this restless country sweeps by them unobserved. They are like those little nooks of still water, which border a rapid stream where we may see the straw bubble riding quietly. At anchor are slowly revolving. In their mimic harbour, and is disturbed by the rush of the passing current. Oh, for many years have elapsed since I trod the drowsy streets of Sleepy Hollow. I'm questioning whether I should not find the same trees and same families vegetating in its sheltered bosom. 
in this by place of nature abode and wrote period of american history is that to say so thirty years since a worthy right the name of ichabod crane was adjoined or as he expressed it tarred in sleepy hollow for the purpose of instructing children of the vicinity in native of connecticut a state supplies the union with pioneers for the mines well as the forest and sends forth yearly legion frontier woodmen and country schoolmasters Clergyman Crane was not implacable to his nature. He was tall, but exceedingly lank, with narrow shoulders, long arms and legs, hands that dangled a mile, heavy sleeves, feet that might have served for shovels. His whole frame was most loosely hung together. His head was small, flat at the top, with huge ears, large, green glassy eyes, and a long snipe nose so that he looked like a weathercock perched upon his spindle neck to tell which way the wind blew the seam striding along the profile of the hill windy day with his clothes bagging and fluttering about him one might have mistaken him for the genius a famine just standing upon the earth with some scarecrow elope from a cornfield his schoolhouse is a low building one large window, rudely constructed with logs, the windows partly glazed, partly patched with leaves, old copy books. It was most ingeniously secure at vacant hours, but a wrist of twist did in the handle of the door, sake set against the window shutters, so that though a thief might get in perfect ease, he'd find some embarrassment getting out. Idea most probably borrowed by the architect, Jos van Houten. The mystery of an eel pot in Pleiohios stood in a rather lonely but pleasant situation, but a foot of the window, just as a foot of a windy, woody hill, a brook running close by, formidable birch tree growing at one end of it, from hence the low murmur of his pupils' voices, crooning over their lessons, might be heard in a drowsy summer's day like a hum beehive. Interrupted now and then by the authoritative voice of the master, a tone of menace or command, praying a paramoventure, a pulling sound of birch, he urged some tawny loiterer along the flowery path of the knowledge. Truth to say, he was a conscientious man, never bore in mind the man of gold maximum, bear the rod and spoil a child. Igabel Crane scholars certainly were not spoiled. I would not have imagined it, ever that he was one of the these cruel potentates of the school whose joy was smart on their subjects and country. He ministered justice with discrimination rather than severity, taking the burden off the backs of the weak, laying it on those that are strong. You were merely pu- you were mere puny straplings that winced as that at least flourished of the rod, passed by the indulgence. But the claims of justice were satisfied by inflicting a double portion, some little tough, wrong-headed, broad-skirted Dutch urchin, who sulked and swelled and threw, grew dogged and sudden beneath the birch. All this he could call doing his duty by their parents. They inflicted chastisement without following it by the assurance of constant, consolatory to the smarting urchin, 
he would remember it and thank him for the longest day he have had to live. As school hours were over, he was even companion playmate of the larger boys on the holiday afternoons, with only some of the smaller ones home. They happened to have pretty sisters or good housewives for mothers, noted for the comforts of the cupboard. Indeed, it behooved him to keep a good terms with his pupils. But the avenue rising from school was small, but had been significant, scarcely insignificant, significant, significant to furnish him with daily bread. Yet he was a huge feeder, although lank, he was a di- had the dilating powers of a conda. But to help out his maintenance, he was coding to the country cousin in these parts, boarded and lodged at the house of the farmers whose children he instructed. The easiest lived successfully a week at a time of going thus going the rounds neighbourhood all these worldly goods tied up to cotton handkerchief. That was all this might not be to un onus on purses, his rustic party patrons, but I'll apt to consider cost of schooling grievous burden. Gormanters and mere drones he was variously weighing. In various ways of rendering himself both useful and agreeable. He sits at the farmers occasionally in lighter labours, their farms, helping them make hay, mend the fences, look, took the horses to water, drove the cow from the farmer, cut wood for the winter fire, laid aside too all the dominant dignity and absolute sway which he lauded in his little empire. School came wonderfully gentle and great in great in he found fame in the eyes of mothers of petting the children, particularly the youngest, like the lion bold, which Vulon so magnificently a lamb did hold. He would sit with a child one day, and rock a cradle with his foot for many whole hours therefore together. To addition with his other vocations, he was a school singing master of the neighbourhood, picked up some bright, bright shillings, instructing the young folks in power. Persimony is a matter of no little vanity to him on Sundays. Take his station in front of the school church gallery, a band of chosen singers, where in his own mind he completely carried away palm for the parson. So in it is, his voice resonated, sounded far above all the rest of the congregation. And there were well peculiar quavers still to be heard in that church, which many may even be heard half a mile off. Quite so to the opposite side of the mill pond, and a still Sunday morning, which I was laid, I said to be legitimately descended from those of Ichabod Crane. Thus, by the driver's little makeshifts, in which ingenious way, which is commonly dominated by hook and by cook, whole prend to go, 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 but untolerably enough, as was thought. By all who understood nothing of the labour of headwork, to have wonderful easy, have a wonderful easy life of it. Schoolmaster is generally a man of some importance of female circle, rural neighbourhood. He said a kind of idle gentleman-like parsonage, vastly superior taste and of compliments, the rough county swains, indeed inferior in learning only to the parson. The appearance, therefore. His apt occasion, some little stir at the table, tea table, palmhouse, addition to some supermemory dish of cakes or sweetmeats, or peradventure the parade of the silver teapot, 
Manless as ever was peculiarly happy. The smiles of all the country damsels, how he would figure among them. Graveyard, churchyard, between services on Sundays, gathering grapes for them. The wild veins and overrun surrounding trees, sweating from the amusement, or the epitaphs on tombstones, sauntering with a whole bevy of them along the banks of adjacent mill pond, while the more bachelor country bumpkins hung seriously back, envying his superior excellence. Eggs and address. From this, from his half-retreated life, also was a kind of travelling gazette, carrying is a kind of travelling gazette carrying a whole budget of local gossip from house to house. That his appearances always greeted with satisfaction. He was, moreover, esteemed by women as a man, great education, free of bread, several books, quite thrown, and was a perfect master of Cotton Mayfair's history of the new English. Witchcroft, in which he, by the way, he most firmly, potently believed. He was, in fact, an old mixture of small, small students and simple credibility. credibility. His appetite for the marvellous powers of distressing it were equally extraordinary, both being increased by his residence in this small bellbound region. The hotel was too gross and monstrous for his capricious swallow. As often upon often his delight, our school was diminished in the afternoon to stretch itself a rich bed of cover, bordering a little brook that whimpered by his schoolhouse, and there con over old Matthew's dreadful tales of the dying dusk to the growing gathering dusk. The evening made the printed page a mere mist before his eyes. Then he wielded his way by storm, swamp, and steam, and awkward woodland of harmless where he happened to be quartered. Every sound of excitement of that witching hour flooded his excited imagination. A moan and a whip poor like poor more. A moan and a whip poor will for the hillside. A brooding cry of tree toad, a hammering of storm, a dreary hooting of the screech owl, sudden rustling in the thicket of birds. Frightened from their roost. The fireflies, too, which barked most vividly in the darkest places, now and then startled him, as one of uncommon brightness would stream across his path. If by chance the huge blockhead of a beetle came winging his blundering flight before against him, poor Vanette was ready to give up the ghost. The idea he was stuck with which his token. Though he saw some some occasions, whether to, either to drown or thought or drive away evil spirits, the singing of psalm tunes, and he hear good people's sleepy hollow as they sat by their doors in the evening, often filled all with hearing his usual melody in linked sweetness long drawn out, hurting from the distant hill or along the dusky road. Another of his sources of power, fearful pleasure was to pass along winter evenings of the old Dutch wives. They sat spinning by the fire, their row of apples roasting and spluttering along the heath and listened to their marvellous tales <coughs> of ghosts and goblins and haunted fields, haunted brooks and haunted bridges, haunted houses, and particularly holes their headless horsemen, like galloping in sand and hollow. As they sometimes called him, he would delight them equally 
by his antidotes of witchcraft, the direful omens and portentous sights and sounds in the air, revealed in earlier times of Connecticut, men frighten and would frighten them woefully with speculations upon comets and shooting stars, the alarming fact that well did it absolutely turn around. And they were half a time topsy turvy. If, if there was a pleasure in all this wild, snuggly, cuddling in the chimney corner of a chamber, there's already glow the crackling wood fire. There, where, of course, no spectre dared to show his face. His face, the dearly purchased by the terrors is a subsequent walk homewards, what fearful shapes and shadows beset his path, amidst the dim and ghastly glare of a stormy night. But that what with what wistful look did his eye every trembling ray of light steaming across the race fields from some distant window? How often was he pulled by some shrub covered with snow, which like a sheeted goat beset his very path? How often did he shrink with curdling awe at the sound of his own steps of the frosty crust beneath his feet, dread to look over his shoulder, lest he would behold some of being trampling close behind him, and how often was he thrown in complete dismay as some rushing blast howling among the trees or the idea is a galloping of sand on one of his nightly scourings. All these, however, the mere terrors of the night phantoms of the mind that walk in darkness, and though he had seen many spectres in his time, he more than once beset by Satan in divers shapes, his lonely revelations, yet daylight put an end to all these evils. He would not would have passed a pleasant life of it in spite of the, despite the devil and all his works, his path, or being crossed by being, or causes more preparatory to mortal men than ghosts, goblins, and the whole race of which is put together that was a woman. Among the musical disciples assembled one evening each week to see the instructions, palms, palms of modity. Was Katrina van Tussel, the daughter of the only child of a substantial Dutch farmer. She was a blooming lass of flesh, eighteen, plump as a partridge, ripe and melting, rosy cheeked, and one of her father's peaches, and university famed, not merely for her beauty, but for her vast expectations. She is revival a little of a coquette, as might be perceived even in her dress. The mixture of ancient modern fashions as one most city to set off her charms. She wore ornaments of pure yellow gold, which her great great grandmother had brought only from Sardinian, tempting Stumunka, the golden time, 
where a jewel provoking short petticoat displayed the prettiest foot ankle the country beyond. Ankle bird crane had a soft and foolish heart towards the sex. It is not to be wondered at that so tempting a morsel soon found fame in his eyes, more especially after he visited her their parental mansion. Old Proletalius von Tessel was a perfect picture of a thriving, contented, liberal-minded farmer. Seldom is it true, said even his, said even his eyes, his foot beyond the boundaries of his own farm. Within these, everything was snug, happy, and well-conditioned. He is satisfied with his wealth, but not happy for it, of it. Peaked himself upon the healthy abundance rather than the style in which he lived. His stronghold was situated on the banks of the Hudson, one of those green, sheltered, fertile blocks in which the Dutch farmers are so fond of nestling. The great elm tree spread its poor branches over it, at the foot of which bubbled up a spring, the softest of Swedish water. A little well formed of a barrel, formed of a barrel, and stole sparkling away from through the grass, a neighbouring brook that bubbled along among the elders and dwarf willows. Hard by the farmhouse was a vast barn which might have served for church, every window and crevice of which served seen bustling forth treasures of the farm. The fowl was busily resounding, then with morning of delight, swallows and martins skimmed twittering about the ease and rows of pigeons, some one-eyed turned up as if watching the weather, some with their heads under the wings or buried in the bosoms, and others swelling and cooing and bowing about their dames were enjoying the sunshine of the roof. Sleek and wildly porkers were grunting in the response, posts, abundance of pens from whence sailed forth now and then troops of suckling pigs. As they snuffed the air, a stately squadron of snowy grease were riding in a joining pond, conveying whole fleets of ducks, regiments of turkeys, were gobbling through the farmyard, the guinea fowls fretting about it, like ill-tempered Five housewives, their peevish, discounted cry, discontented cry. For the Bordars strutted to the great gallant cock, the pardon of her husband, a warrior, fine gentleman, clapping his varnished wings, and crowing his pride, and glad as his heart sometimes tearing up the turf, his feet, then generously calling his ever hungry family of wives and children enjoyed the rich morsel which he had discovered. A pen that go where his mouth watered as he looked upon his sumptuous and promise, luxurious, luxurious winter fare, bearing in mind eye, he pictured himself, every roasted pig running about in a, and puddling his belly and apple in his mouth. The pigeons were snugly put on bed, a comfortable pie and tucked in a coverlet of grass, geese are swimming on gravy, the ducks pairing cosily as dis <coughs> dishes, as smug married couples, a decent complacency of onion sauce and polkas. He saw carved out the food just sick side of bacon, very juicy, burnishing ham, not turkey. He beheld daintily trussed up with his gidded on its wing, pre 
adventures of necklace of savory sausages, and even brighter, bright catsachelia himself saw sprawling on his back a side dish with uplift claws as if craving a quarter which his shiverous spirit disdained to ask while living. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Isn't it enraptured Rick abroad? Fancied all this, and as he rolled his great green eyes of the fat mellow lands, of rich fields of wheat, of rye, of upweed, and in the corn, the belched burden with ruddy fruit, and surrounding the warm tenement of Van Hessel, his heart yearned after the damsel who was inherit these domains. His imagination expanded for the idea how they might be readily returned in cash, money invested in rent tracts, wild land and single palaces. The wilderness made his busy fancy. Came already realised his hopes and presented him him the blooming Katrina. The whole family children manned in the top of a wagon, loaded household trumpery, with pots and kettles dangling beneath. He beheld himself rich driving a pacing man, a colt and a heels setting out for Kentucky, Tennessee, or the Lord knows when. He entered the house, the conquest of his heart was complete. He was one of those spacious it was one of those spacious farmhouses. The rich high ridge but lowly sloping roofs built in style, hanging down from the first Dutch settlers, a low projecting ease forming plaza along the front cable being closed up bad weather. Under this flung ferals, harnesses, various utensils, tree, nets of fishing in the neighbourhood in Villa Viva. Benches were built along the sides for some use, a great spinning wheel at one end, a churn at the other end, showed the various uses which his poor pouch might be devoted. But the piers and the wandering Ichabod went to the hall, which formed the centre of the mansion, at a place of usual residence. Here arose a very pleasant pewter, ranged in a long pressure, dares of his eyes. In one corner stood a huge bag of wool, ready to be spun another quality, a linsey woolsery, woolsery, just for the loom, eyes of the corn, strings of dried apples and peaches, hung for the grey festoons along the walls, mingled a gold of red peppers, a bird at the door left a job, gave him people the best parlour, but the claw footed chairs and dark mahogany tables shone like mirrors and ardorons, with their accompanying shovel and tongues, glistened with their convent, asparagus tops, mock oranges, and conch shells decorated rent for the mantelpiece, decorated the mantelpiece. Strings of various coloured birds, eggs were suspended above it. Great ostrich egg was hung above for the centre of the room and the corner cupboard, lying left open displayed immense treasures of old silver and well-mended china. 
From that, from the moment Ichabod laid his eyes upon these regions of light, Pierce's mind was at end. So his study was how to gain the affections of the peerless daughter, Van Tessel. In this enterprise, however, he mo mo real difficulties and generally fell to the lot when the knight errant of yore, who seldom had anything but giants and enchanters, fiery dragons and like such like easily conquered adversaries contend with, and may had to make his way merely through eight gates of iron and brass and walls of abundant the castle keep, the lady of his heart was confined, all which he achieved as easily a man would carve his way to the centre of a Christmas pie. But then the lady gave him her hand, as a matter of course. Ichabod, in contrary, to win his way to the heart of a country courgette, beset with a labyrinth of whims and caprices, and which were for ever presenting new difficulties and impediments. He has encountered a host of fearful averages, real flesh and blood, numerous rustic remoras, which set every portal to her heart, people which will an angry eye upon each other, but ready to fly out from common sense against any new competitor. Among these most formidable, the burly bull rolling, roistering blade, a name of Abraham, according to the Dutch abbreviation, Bron van Bolt, arrow of the county round, which rang from his feats of strength and hardihood. He was broad shouldered, double jointed, with short, curly black hair, a bluff, and a bluff, but not an unpleasant countenance, having a mingled air of fun and arrogance. For his circling frame and great powers of limb, you see the nickname Broom Bones, by which he was unusually known. He framed for great knowledge and skill in horsemanship, being a dexterous on the horseback as a Tartar. He fell most of the races and cockfights with the amphistry, density, with bodily strength that always acquires its rustic life, was the umpire of his old disputes, then his hat on his one side. Give his decision with an air and tone, emitted of no gay stain or appeal. He's always ready for either a fight of frolic, which might which had more mischief than ill will in his comparative precision. With all his overbearing roughness, there was a strange dash of wagmanship, great humour at the bottom. He had three or four bold boon companions, regarding him as their model, and ahead of whom he scoured the country attending every scene of field of merriment for miles around in cold weather, distinguished by a fur cup, surrounded by a fourteen foxtail, and the folks of country gathered, being described as well-known crests out of the distance, whisking about amongst a squad of hard riders. They always stood by by for a squall. Perhaps sometimes his crew would be heard stashing long past the miles. It is at midnight, with which with group and a holler, like a trip of Don Sussex, the old dames settled out of their sleep and listened for a moment until the hurry scurry tottered by, and then exclaimed, Oh, those goes boom bones of his game. The neighbours looked around him with a mixture of awe, admiration, goodwill, and when they met, when any madcap prank, rustic brawl occurred in the vicinity, we shut their heads and warranted. Boom Bangs was at the bottom of it.
This Rampervel Hall hero has sometimes singled out for the booming Katrina, the object of his uncouth gallantries. Though his amorous toyings were something like the gentle caresses or endeavours of a bear, yet it was a whisper that he she did not altogether discourage his hopes. Turning what it is, his advances were signals for evil candidates to retire, and felt no inclination across a lie in his armours, to so much that his health would be seen tight of Anne and Tulsa's polling, and Sunday night a sure sign in his master's counting for courting, whereas if it's turned barking in all this absolute part by despair, carried the war into other quarters, such as the former rival with whom a couple of crane could attend, and considering all things a stouter man than he would have shrunk from some petition, a wiser man would have despaired. He had ever been mixed with palability and providence of his nature. He was in the form of spirit like a thick supple jack, yielding but tough, though he bent, he never broke, and though he bailed beneath slightest pressure, yet the moment he was away, jerked. He was erect and carried his head as high as ever. To have taken the field openly, Gizivide would have been madness, for he was not a man to be faulted in his armbus. Any more than in stormy lover, Archimedes, Jacobo, therefore, made his advances quite gently insinuating, insinuating manner. Under cover of his character of the senior master, he made frequent visits at the farmhouse. Not he had anything to bear behind from the grimacing interference of the parents, which is often a stumbling book in their path for lovers. But Van Tessel was an easy, indulgent soul. He loved his daughter better than his pipe, and like a reasonable man, an excellent father, let, his, let her have her own way. If his noble little wife took enough to do to attend to the housekeeper and manage her poultry, whereas he sagely averred ducks and goose of foolish things must be looked after, but the girl can take care of her once themselves. That's while a busy dame bustled about the house of Pearl, a spinning wheel at one end of the plaza on its bait belt, with Sid sitting and smoking his piping pipe. I know, watching the violent treatments of a little wooden warrior, an arm of a sword in each hand, with the most friendly fight in the wind, principal of the barn. In the meantime, Ichabod would carry out his carry on his stoot, and a daughter was by his side, a spring under the right elm, a strolling along the twilight, the hour so favourably to the lovers of occurrence. I first not know to know how women's hearts are wooed and won. To me, it has been matters of riddle and reparation. Some seem to have but one venerable point, a door or access, while others have a thousand adventures, maybe captured in a thousand different ways. It is a great triumph of skill to gain a former, but great, still greater proof of gen- generalship. To maintain possession of the latter, a man must battle for his fortress, every door and window, he who wins a thousand common hearts is therefore titled to have some renown. But he who uh, keeps undisputed sway over the heart of a courgette, he instead a hero. Certain is this, 
was for the case of redoubtable boom bones, but the moment Ichabod Crane made advances, his interest of, of the former event bleed declined. He's also no longer seen tight pains of Sunday nights. The dirty food gradually rose between him, perpetrator of Sleepy Hollow. Boom had a degree of certain degree of rough chivalry. His nature was fain of carried manners to open warfare. Said of these pretensions of the lady. According to the mode of the most most concise and simple reasoners, the knights errand of yore were by single combat, but Incapod was too conscious as pure knight of his adversary to enter the enlists um, against him. He had heard a boast by his bones. He had doubled the good schoolmaster up and lay him to himself with his own schoolhouse. But he was too wary to give him an opportunity. There was some extreme provoking the obstinately Pacific system, and left Groom no alternative but to wander, to draw open the funds of rustic vanquery, his discretion, and to pay off boorish practical jokes upon his rival. Echorod became an object of whimsical persecution. The bones of gangs of rough riders, they harried his for road, peaceful domain, smote out his swinging school by stopping the chimney, broke in his full house at night. In spite of his former fastings of weaver and wife and window stakes, and turned to think topsy turvy, so poor schoolmasters began to think of which is county hill their meetings there. But that was all was all still more annoying. But took all the opportunities of turning him into ridicule presidents, remissious and a scoundrel dog, whom he taught to whine in the most luxurious manner, induced induced the rival Ichabods to instruct to impel as a murdering. In this way, Manitors sent went on at the same time without producing immature effect on the relative situations, contending powers. The final tall afternoon, Nicobod, pensive mode, set a throne to a lofty stall, and whence he usually watched all the concerns, his little literary realm. His head, his hands swayed a furrow, the spectre of despotic power. The birch of justice opposed three nails to behind the throne, a constant terror of evildoers, while on the desk before him might be seen sundry counterband, articles of proprietary weapons, detected upon the persons, aid or urchins, but such as half eaten munch apples, pop guns, whirly gigs, flying cages, and whole regions of parent, rampant little paper pain cots. Apparently there had been some appalling act of justice recently afflicted before his scholars were all busy intent upon the books of their servant, a slightly whispering behind them, one eye kept upon the schoolmaster, a kind of buzzing seal of serene throughout the schoolroom, is suddenly erupted by the appearance of a negro, a torn cloth jacket, and trans trousers, a round covered fragment of the hat, that cap of mercury and mounted on black ragged wild aft bone coat which he managed with a rope by the way of a lota what a he came clattering up the school door an invitation of the group ten and merry making or quilt for look to be held in the evening as a very high uh, and tossing 
and he had delivered his message that the player purpose effort was a fine language which Negro is apt to display the pretty embarrasses of the kind he dashed over the brook as the enclosed scrambling away the hollow, followed the reporter's hurry of his mission. All was now bristle and humbug. A late, quiet schoolroom. Scholars were harrowed. Through their lessons, without stopping at trifles, those were numbers skipped over half with impurity. Those who were tardy had a smart application now and then in the rear to quicken their speed or help them over toll world. Brooks were slung aside without being put away on the shelves in stands were overturned, benches thrown down, whole schools turned loose an hour by the usual time, thrusting forth a legion of young imps yelping and raffling about the gold joy, green and joy that early emancipation. Don Inkerbod now spent at least an extra half hour in toilet, brushing and reversing his, up his best. Indeed, only suit of rusty black, and arranging his looks by a bit of broken looking glass at home up in the schoolhouse. He might make his appearance for his mistress in a true style of a cavalier, borrowed a horse which the farmers whom he disminuted a choric. Coric, old Dutchman, the name of Han van Ripper, and thus gallantly mounted, issued forth like a knight errant in quest of adventures. But it is meant I should, in true spirit and romantic story, give some account of the looks and equipment of my heroic steed, and as he bestowed the broken down ploughs without lid almost everything but his viciousness. His gaunt and shaggy, with a wound nip, a head like a hammer. His rusty mane was tall and tail was mangled, nodded with burrs. One eye had lost pupil, a glaring spectacle, but the other had a gleam of genuine devil in it. Still, he might have had fire and metal, yet metal in his day, if he may judge from the name Ball Gunpowder. He had, in fact, been a favourite speed. The master of Colonic Van Ripper was furious rider, and fused every Possibility, some of his own spirit into the animal. But old and broken down he looked, but there were more of a lurking devil in him than any young filly in the country. Ichabod was the sort of figure for such a steed. He rode with short stirrups. He brought his knees nearly up the pommel the saddle. His sharp elbows stuck out like grasshoppers. He carried his whip perpendicularly in his hand. A scepter, his house jogged on, the motion of his arms, unlike the flapping of a pair of wings, wings as short, small world hats, 
Listen on the top of his nose, where his scanty strip of forehead might be called the skirts of his black coat, flooded out almost to the horse's tail. Such was the appearance of Ichabod and his steed, as every, as they shambled the gates of Van's hand Van Ripper. It was thought to give such an apparition, it's seldom to be met with a broad daylight. It was, as I have said, a fine autumnal day. The sky was clear and serene, and nature wore a rich and golden livery, which he, we always associate with the idea of abundance. Fields are put on this sombre brown and yellow, while some trees of tender pine and knit by the forest's frost of brilliant dyes of orange, purple and scarlet, steaming flies, flowers of Wild ducks began to make their appearance in the high in the air. The bark of squirrel might be heard for the groves, beech and hickory nuts. Pensive whistle the quail, intervals from the neighbourhood, neighbouring stubble field. Small birds were taking their farewell banquets. The fulfilmentness of every they fluttered, chirping and frolicking from bush to bush, the tree to tree, capricious from their very profusion, a variety around them. This was the honest cock robin, the favourite game of the strapling sportsman. His loud, curious note and twittering blackbirds fly in the stable clouds. Golden winged worker, crimson crested, broad black gornet, and splendid plumage of the creator bird, erect tibid wings and yellow tibid tail, little monsterico cap of feathers, a blue jay that noisy. Cook's comb, his gay light blue coat, white undercoat clothes, green and clattering, nodding and bobbing and bowing, pretending to be a good terms for every songster of the grove. As Ichabod jogged slowly on his way, his eye open to every symptom, culinary, culinary abundance. Ranged in the light over the treasures of Jolly Alton. On all sides beheld him vast store apples, some hanging in oppressive opulence of the trees, some gathered in the baskets and barrels of the market, others heaped by the rich, up in rich piles of the cider presses. Further, he beheld great fields of Indian corn, with golden ears peering from the leafy cupboards, holding out the promise of cakes and hides, the hasty, hasty pudding. These yellow pumpkins lying beneath them, turning up their fair round bellies in the sun and giving ample prospects, most luxurious of pies, anon he passed the fragrant buckwood fields breathing the odour beehive, beheld them soft interpretations of stroll of his mind and dainty slapjacks, well buttoned, garnished with burnt honey, a treacle by a del- delicate little dimpled hand of Katrina von Tessel. As feeding his mind with many sweet faults and sugared suppositions, suppositions, he journeyed along the sides of a range of hills, which looked upon some the goodliest things of the mighty Hudson. The sun gradually wheeled, his broad disk down in the west, where a bosom and tampan sea lay motionless in the last sea. Except that they were here and there, 
the gentle undulation weighed and prolonged those shadows distant Merton. A few amber clouds gloated in the sky, bad a breath of air to move them. Horizon was a golden it was of a golden fine golden tint, changing gradually into the pure green apple green. From that into the dark deep blue of the head heaven. Starting lay gravid the woody crests of a precipice, and overhung some parts of the river, giving greater depth of grey and purple their rocky sides. The slope was launching in the distance, drooping, dropping slowly down on the tide, a sail hanging useless against the mast. As a reflection, the sky gleamed along the still water. It seemed as if a vessel was suspended in the air. It was all evening that Echobod arrived at the castle of Herr von Tessel, which he had found from the pride and flower of the adjacent county. Old farmers of bare, levering old faced race, old spun coats of breeches, loose stockings, whose shoes, nifts and pelter buckles, brisk wimple, brisk withered little lanes, and close crimped caps, long waisted short gowns. Homespun petticoats with scissors and pinch-cushions, gay calico pockets hanging on the outside, buxom masses, almost as quickly as their mothers, excepting bare straw hat with pine cut ribbon, or perhaps a white frock, gave Simpson a silly innovation, as sons with some short squared skirted coats, rose of stupendous brass buttons, their hair generally queued in a fashion at times, especially were procured of ill skin, purpose being esteemed throughout the country, set potent nurture and straightener on the hair. Boom Bones, however, was the hero of the scene, having come to the gathering as his favourite steed, Hale Devil, a creature like himself, full of metal mischief, which no one but himself could manage. He was a fact noted of preferring vicious animals, given to all kinds of tricks that kept the rider in constant risk of his neck, for he had held a retractable, well known broken horse, an worthy lad of spirit. Fain would I pass to dwell upon the world of charms and busts, upon the enraptured rays of my hero, as he entered the state pot of Van Tessel's action. Now those are bevy bluts and mad voices, the luxurious display of red and white, but the ample charms of the genuine Dutch county's tea table in the sumptuous time of autumn. Such are heaped up the platters of cake of various, of various misdescribable kinds, known only to experienced Dutch wives, that a doughy doughnut, a tender oil, oily coke, the crisp and crumbling cooler, sweet cakes and short cakes, ginger cakes and honey cakes, the whole place is family cakes, then there were the apple pies, beach, peach pies, pumpkin pies, slices slice of ham, beef, and bowl over delectable dishes, and serve plums and pears, and pears and quinces, not to mention boiled shad and roasted chickens to give up bowls of milk and cream, all mingled higgledy-piggledy, mighty much as I have remembered, numbered them, in a marvelly and teapot, sending up its clouds of vapour from the mist. Heaven bless the mark. I might breathe the time to guess, discuss banquet as it deserves. I am too eager to get on with my story. 
happily at Ingeborg Crane, not so great a hurry as his historian, but not that, but did ample justice to every deity. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.